I'm very grateful to be with you and to uh, have this great privilege of looking into God's Word with you at this point. Um, I met with uh, your pastor, David, earlier this week. Uh, we had arranged for me to be here this week, uh, several months ago, but I just met with him. And uh, as we were all finished eating a very nice lunch and saying goodbye, he said, oh, oh, by the way, the, the kids are going to be in the service. Is that okay? <laughs> and I, I, I didn't really think, is that okay, was a real question. Uh, <laughs> um, but then when they were sitting up here, the whole time at the beginning, I thought, well, okay, this, this, this could work. And, and then I leaned over and I said, well, will the children be there during the sermon? And, and he said nothing. And so um, I'm, I'm greatly relieved um, and uh, <laughs> grateful for the opportunity to be with you. Um, on a much bigger scale, it, it's, it's, uh, that was a minor confusion. It's easy to be confused in our world, isn't it? Uh, there are so many terrible things going on and confusing things and, and uh, new and historically breaking uh, things. Uh, it's easy to get confused. And one of the great things about coming together to worship is to get perspective again. Oh, that's right. There's something bigger than just what we see on the front pages of the web page that we open up. Um, to find out what's going on in the world. And, one, and, and perhaps the biggest frame for as we think about life is that theme that is such a big deal in Scripture of the kingdom of God. It's a very big deal in the Gospels. It's uh, some of the very first words that Jesus says in the beginning of uh, the Gospel according to, Ma uh, to Mark. And yet it's not always a big deal in our thinking or even our understanding of what it means to live the Christian life. It's not always as front and center in our perspective. And so when we come together to worship and we declare that God is the King and He is Lord and He reigns, we are reminded that there's a bigger kingdom than just the governments or the events happening in our world. And so very often in worship, what we want to be reminded of is, what is that kingdom like? What, what is the kingdom of God like? What does it mean that we are citizens of the kingdom of God? And the passage that was read in our gospel reading from Mark chapter 4 think, uh, tells us some things about the kingdom of God that we need to be reminded of, that we need to remember, that we need to be brought back to. And, oh, yes, that's right. That's the framework through which I see everything. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, I invite you to open up because I want to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 32. And uh, the first thing that we see in this passage is where Jesus tells a parable about someone who scatters seed on the ground and then how that seed grows. Now, perhaps um, as, we, as you first started hearing this passage read, your mind, uh, you remembered that, pa that parable, another parable that Jesus told about seeds, where a sower scattered seed on, gr on the ground and some fell on this kind of ground and some fell on this kind of ground and some on this and some on this, and it was four different grounds with four different effects. It's a very famous parable. It's the first parable that's told in Matthew 13, and, and, and it even says that this is the most important parable. Jesus said, you have to understand this parable and understand all the parables. And what he was saying there was that the kingdom of God sometimes looks like this and sometimes looks like this, sometimes looks like this, and, and the seed is responded in different, uh, by people in different ways. But this is a different parable. And this is one that perhaps you may have forgotten about. Or when, when it was read this morning, you went, oh, I don't 
don't know if I've ever seen that before. I came across this not too long ago, and I thought, have I ever read this passage? It's about a seed that is unstoppable in its growth. And that's the first thing that this text is telling us about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. God is going to advance His kingdom whether we realize it or not, whether we recognize it or not. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. Night and day, he says, whether this man sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows. We need to be reminded of this because it's easy to forget. By the way, it's easy to read this and, and to think, oh, good, I don't need to do anything. Just, just kind of watch it happen. Um, the passive Christian life, I guess. Um, but you'll notice that it starts that the, that the man scatters seed. Uh, the kingdom of God is this absolutely amazing, mysterious, almost inexplicable combination of what people do and what God does. Now, granted, God's part is much bigger and much more powerful, but He does use people in the process, and every aspect of the advance of the kingdom of God has people being obedient to what God has commanded us for our part in the process. And, and uh, one of the, the, the very... Um, precise locations of the kingdom advancing is when individual people hear the gospel message and are confronted with it. Uh, this is the area that um, I have done a lot of studying about and, and some writing about. And, and uh, not too long ago, I did a research project where I interviewed uh, 40 college students who had just become Christians within the last two years. And ever since then, I continue to hear these stories and read about and find out. And they're wonderful. They're amazing. They're, they're illustrations of this principle that the kingdom of God is unstoppable. There are people in our world today coming to faith in all sorts of unlikely ways, unpredictable ways. Well, if you were a betting person, you would bet money on this not working, <laughs> and yet God works, and, and He propels the advancement of the gospel. He opens up blind eyes. He softens hardened hearts. He works in people's lives in ways that are absolutely um, uh, unpredictable and inexplicable. Let me tell you one story. I'm going to tell you a lot of stories this morning. We have four hours, right? Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. I, I know. I remember. I got… Um, um, he said to me right before we started moving, he says, you do have a watch, don't you? Um, because, because the clock in the back there says, I haven't even started yet. In fact, it's still a quarter to ten. Don't worry, don't worry, I'm okay. Um, 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 one of the, the students that I interviewed began her… Um, uh, I asked students to help t tell me how they became a Christian. I, w I was given their name by campus ministers that, in fact, these students had come to faith, so I knew how all these stories ended. Um, but this young woman began by saying, well, she grew up in a home with no religion at all. Her parents were both atheists. Um, she never went to church. She can't really remember ever going to church. Um, she came away to college, her first year in college, freshman year of college, lots of fun. All of her friends were not religious. She thinks all of her friends were atheists. I mean, there was just no, nothing about religion or God. Uh, she came home after her freshman year of college, and her parents said that they were going to take a family vacation and go to London for two weeks. Um, and so she's telling me this, and she said, so I decided to pack my Bible. I said, pardon me, excuse me, your, your, your what? My Bible. I said, you had a Bible? And she scratched her head. She said, yeah, isn't that weird? I don't know where I got it. <laughs> well, 
oh, oh, okay, did your parents give? No, no, my parents definitely wouldn't have given it to you. You, you have no idea where you got this Bible. No. Well, okay, so you decided to bring it on vacation. Yes. Why? Uh, and she said, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know. And then she proceeded to tell me, and it was one of those really big fat ones. It was a big fat Bible. And so it took up room in my suitcase. And um, and uh, so, um, but okay, so she went to London and she read her Bible every day. Why? I said, I, I, you know, she said, I don't know. I said, what did you think of it? She said, I thought it was great. Um, what, what, did you, what did you read? Well, I read Matthew and I read Mark and I read Romans and I read the Psalms. I really loved the Psalms. And then when I came back to college the next year, I thought, I got to find people who understand this book. And she sought out a Christian fellowship and she heard what the Bible was all about and she came to faith. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. If he's going to be working in people, it is irresistible. Isn't that amazing? Um, so we need to remember that when it looks like the kingdom of God has gone dormant or in retreat. Um, it's good to hear what's going on all around the world, not just in our corner of the world, but in different parts of the world right now, the kingdom of God is exploding. And it's important to remember that God works in different places in different ways. Look what happens next then in verse 30. Jesus says something really puzzling. He says, um, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable should we use to describe it? Now, that doesn't seem all that unusual until you remember that that's Jesus saying that. And, and you think, was he puzzled? Was he confused? Was he intellectually challenged? I mean, it's almost sounding blasphemous to even say that. No, of course not. Jesus wasn't scratching his head going, I can't quite come up with an illustration here. I'm having trouble. Anybody can help me? No, it's not that at all. It's He's, what he's saying is that the kingdom of God is so vast, so big, so multifaceted, so uh, complex in a very, very rich way that there's no one single parable that captures all of it. That's why we have at the end of this passage where it says um, Jesus was speaking to them in many ways and he did not say anything to them without using a parable. In Matthew 13, he tells parable after parable after parable that gives a very different perspective about the kingdom of God in each parable. In one, it's about a seed sown on different soils. In another, it's seed, good seed and weeds growing up together. In another parable, it's like um, a, a pearl of great price that someone sacrifices everything to go get. In another parable, it's like um, a treasure hidden in a field. In another, it's like this uh, dragnet that goes to the bottom of the, of the sea in order to gather up all sorts of kinds of fish. It's looking at the kingdom of God in so many different ways. The kingdom of God advances in a variety of ways in very different ways in individual people. And so we need to pursue it and look for it in lots of different ways. Sometimes the kingdom of God is, oh, there's both good and evil growing side by side, and I need to not get discouraged by that. That would be the wheat and the weeds. Sometimes I need to remember um, this treasure is hidden in a field, and, and you don't necessarily see it. In fact, you, you, you'd have to go into that field and go searching for it. Sometimes it's uh, the picture of people fishing, and, you know, fishing for a long time looks like nothing. <laughs> I've done it. Um, uh, um, 
In fact, in my experience, it, it, it is nothing. But, but in, uh, in Jesus' description, eventually there is this great catch. Uh, so the, the, the kingdom of God is so multifaceted, it's different. It has different ways of occurring, which shouldn't surprise us because the gospel message itself is described in many different ways. Sometimes we, we, the, the light shining on this gospel message is the one about forgiveness of sins. And surely, that, I think that's the most important part. But sometimes the words used to describe this message is not so much about forgiveness, but about cleansing, slightly different. Sometimes it's about redemption. Uh, something being bought out of a kind of slavery and being set free. Sometimes uh, the gospel is one of um, making sense of a big picture of things. Sometimes it's understanding our place as, as a subject to a king. There's all these different words about the gospel, and, and different aspects of the story connect with different people in different ways. We need to have such a rich appreciation for this teaching of Jesus that we can talk to a wide variety of people about the same topic coming at it from different angles. Isn't it amazing that in in John chapter 3, Jesus talks to this religious man and says, you must be born again. Talks about a whole new beginning. But in the very next chapter, he's talking to a woman who lived a very um, immoral life, and he says to her that, that what he offers is like water. And if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. He didn't, he didn't talk about water to Nicodemus. And he didn't talk about being born again to the woman in John 4. But both are aspects of truth about, about the gospel. Um, I, I spoke to a whole wide variety of students about their path to faith. For some of them, it was a very emotional, wild, crazy ride for some, it was incredibly intellectual. One young man I talked to read hundreds of pages about how science and faith fit together, because that was exactly the opposite of what he thought. He thought either you believed in science or you believed in God. You can't believe in both. And he started reading um, accounts of scientists who were in the top of their field who also believed in God and believed that all of their scientific exploration led them to praise and glory. Um, I I spoke to one young woman who read a thousand pages of a systematic theology textbook in order to understand this whole thing. I I, I spoke to other students who, who didn't read anything, which is very discouraging to a guy who likes to write books. Um, It's amazing how many of them I I would ask, I had the standard question of, um, well, was there anything that you read um, in the process of your coming to faith? And at least half of them went, huh, no, not really. Um, But then this one woman read a thousand pages of a systematic theology textbook. One young woman um, told me the story about how um, in order to get into college, she wanted to have a really great college application. So in high school, she joined every club. She was on the swim team. She was a cheerleader. She joined this club. She did this. And so she would have an impressive college application. And, and she got into her first choice in college, and it was wonderful, except that she was rather tired. And, um, and then her first year in college, she thought, 
you know, this is only going to be for about four years, and then I'm going to have to put together a resume and apply for jobs, so I better start putting together lots of activities. So she started signing up for everything in college, and the swim team, and the cheerleader, and by midway through the fall semester of our freshman year, she was exhausted. And a friend of hers invited her to a Christian group, and she wasn't Christian, and she didn't grow up going to church or anything, but she thought that would probably look good on the resume, so she went. And someone who was up front read a verse in the Bible. She said it wasn't the main speaker. It wasn't even a big, it was kind of almost like just this reading of a text. She didn't know why the person was quoting this verse from the Bible, but it was that verse that said, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And she said, rest? Did somebody say rest? That sounds wonderful. And so she started asking people, rest, where do you get this rest? And they, they, they talked to her about Jesus, and they talked to her about the gospel. And she came to faith because Jesus promised rest. Isn't that wonderful? The gospel is this multifaceted thing because the kingdom is this multifaceted thing, and there's no one illustration that gets all of it. That's why Jesus said, with what shall we compare this kingdom of God? And then he tells one parable, one that he's told before. He says it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed in the, uh, that you plant in the ground. And yet when it is planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. He gives all sorts of details about this big tree that comes from a tiny little seed. Sometimes the kingdom of God is seemingly insignificant. The one, one of the things I saw in all of these interviews and as I talked to people, almost every single one of them had a conversation with someone that at the time seemed kind of insignificant, and yet now that they look back at it, they go, oh, you know, that was one of the most important conversations of my life. My guess is if you were to tell your story here today about how you came to faith or how you are in the process right now of coming to faith, you might be able to point to a conversation here that at the time was a rather short conversation and um, uh, uh, seemingly, I don't know, not all that uh, earth-shattering, and yet you look back at it now and say, wow, that's wonderful. Um, we need to be very alert and aware of the conversations that we have or can have in our world today. I, I've been told your church is kind of doing a study about technology and the effect that it has on us. And there's a whole lot of people doing uh, research and study about technology and how it's harming conversation. Um, it's taking us away from face-to-face -face conversation because we're having 50,000 conversations here, so we're not paying attention there. Now, your pastor told me, now don't, don't, don't just bash the, uh, technology. Okay, um, I won't, because um, uh, I like technology. I have a phone right over here telling me what time it is, and I have a, a, I have, I have a lot of technology. I like it. Um, but it's really good sometimes to disconnect. It's good sometimes to put the, the phone in the pocket or not look at this so that you can pay attention to what's going on around you and have really good conversations. Um, there's one researcher, a woman named Sherry Turkle, who's not a Christian and not necessarily a religious person, but she studies the effect of technology on us. She's a professor at MIT, and she says that what has happened to face-to-face -face conversation in our world, where so many people say they would rather text than talk, is the center of my research. 
She said when she believes that when two people are talking, the mere presence of a phone on a table between them or in the periphery of their vision changes both what they talk about and the degree of connection that they feel. They've done research on this. The level of conversation is shallow when there's a phone there. Because people just think at any second it could go bzzz or ring or, or I need to update my Facebook page or something. But she says something that I think is a, a remarkable statement for someone who's not necessarily religious. She says, conversation is the most human and humanizing thing that we do. Um, I think um, God uses His people in the advance of the kingdom um, in seemingly insignificant and yet very, very significant ways when we engage in conversation with people when we pay attention to their facial expression, when we listen not just to the words they say, but the tone of voice with which they say it. Um, here's another story that I love. Um, again, I asked students to tell me how they became Christians, and they usually took um, a few minutes, five, six, seven minutes to tell me their story, and then I had a bunch of questions that I followed it up with. One young woman told me her story for much longer than most people, 10, 12 minutes, and, and all of those 10, 12 minutes were kind of a parent's worst nightmare of getting involved in things that you wouldn't want your child ever involved in, and lots of boys, and lots of this, and, and all sorts of problems that I'll spare you the details since today is the Sunday that the children are here. Um, even if they're not on the stage, I'm, I'm going to, okay. So anyway, so she told this story about all of this kind of stuff, and everybody in her neighborhood knew about the life that she was living, because every night it was a different car and a different guy that was driving her home. And so one day, she was standing in her backyard smoking her cigarette because her mother wouldn't let her smoke her cigarette uh, in the house. By the way, this was all by the time she was 17. And her neighbor came out and she said, she said my neighbor came outside and saw me smoking my cigarette in the back of the, uh, the house and invited me to a Bible study. And I said, okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. How, 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 how did she invite you to a Bible study? She, she just looked at me with this look of, well, duh, and said, uh, she said, would you like to come to a Bible study? <laughs> oh, clever. Let me write that down. That was good. Okay. Um, uh, all right. Um, uh, so, I'm, but that wasn't the first thing she said to you, right? I mean, she kind of, you know, made small talk, nice day, isn't it a beautiful day, how's your cigarette, something, right? And uh, no, no, the first words out of her mouth were, would you like to come to a Bible study? And I said, okay, but you, you knew her, right? I mean, you had, you had talked to her before. No, I don't think so. I mean, she was my neighbor and I saw her, but, um, and, you know, we probably waved, but I probably never heard her voice. The first thing I ever heard her say was, would you like to come to a Bible study? And so I'm trying to find something, and I said, okay, so, but you guys were, like, close in age. She said, oh, no, she was way older. She was, like, 25. <laughs> I said, okay, so this senior citizen comes out, <laughs> invites you to her old lady's Bible study. Uh, what did you say? And she said, uh, I said, I would love to go to a Bible study. I said, really? Did you use the word love? Did you really say love? She said, yes, I did. I said, why did you say you would love to come to a Bible study? She said, because nothing else in my life was making any sense, and I figured maybe the Bible could help. And besides, I'd been reading it on my own for a year and a half, and I couldn't understand it. Oh. So something as seemingly uh, minor, like, would you like to come to a Bible study? Which, I, I, I wish I could interview that, that old lady from next door. <laughs> what were you thinking when you came up? What would be, what were, what were you think, what, what's the likelihood of success in this? I, know if it, I, I, I sometimes don't say things because I think, ah, that's not going to work. 
But I need to remember that the kingdom of God is like this tiny little seed, and God can use it to build this incredible, this great tree that's so big that birds perch in its branches. The kingdom of God is unstoppable, it's incomparable, and sometimes it's seemingly insignificant, but it is amazingly beyond expression how significant it is. So I want to encourage you to, to try some things, say some things to people, even if you don't know where it goes. Some of us, by the way, like flowcharts. I won't ask for a, a show of hands, but um, some of us want to know what the conversation is going to be like before we start it. Okay, I'm going to say this, and then they could say this or this or this. And if they say this, then I'll go, but if they say this, I could do it, and it'll drive you nuts. Now, sometimes you can do that, and sometimes you need to do that. But in evangelism, I'm not so sure that's a good idea because God can take it all sorts of places, and He can use us as one of the people in the chain, and maybe it's only going to be a short little thing, and maybe we'll never even see that person again. Maybe we'll give them a Bible, and they might someday say, I don't know, I took it to London. I don't even know where I got it. One of my um, great memories of my own story of faith that surely must have seemed insignificant at the time, but now I look back at it as a great thing. I, I, I grew up in a Jewish home. I didn't hear about Jesus very much. My dad owned a gas station, and I worked at the gas station, and, and this is really bizarre, and you won't believe this, but there was a time 150 years ago when, when you went to a gas station, someone came out and pumped gas for you. Isn't that weird? Um, so I was that guy who came out and pumped gas. And one time I was pumping gas, and I was looking in the guy's car, which is probably rude, and on the back uh, windowsill or something were all of these magazines about Jesus. Now, when you grow up Jewish, you don't have magazines about Jesus in your house. Um, but this guy had a whole bunch of them, and I'm just looking at him, trying to read through the window while I'm pumping gas. And um, when, it was, when it was finished, you know, I went and told the guy how much it was, and he handed me money and one of those magazines. He must have seen that I was looking. He must have thought that I was curious. He didn't say a word to me. And in fact, I, I didn't even look at this man's face. I have this bizarre uh, uh, image that someday uh, possibly I, I might meet him in heaven. <laughs> and and I, I, I won't look at his face. I'll look at his arm and go, oh yeah, that's you. That's, I remember. Yes, I got it. <laughs> Something that seemed insignificant at the time, handing me a magazine. I went into the gas station and read that whole thing cover to cover. I didn't come to faith and believe that Jesus was the Messiah until four years later. But I look back now at that event and say, God used that in planting a seed. It was the smallest of seeds, but look at how it has grown, and I am eternally grateful. So you can be that person in who knows how many different people's lives of giving them something to read or sending them an email of, hey, I found this online, you might be interested in it, or here's this video, it's just two minutes long, but boy, I'd love to talk to you about it, or a million other ideas of um, being part of God advancing His unstoppable, incomparable, very significant kingdom. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the people that you bring into our lives who don't know you. It may just be that they are desperately looking for something to make sense of their lives. They may even have been reading the Bible and can't quite figure out what it means. Would you use us in the process of your 
advancing the kingdom in their lives and in our world. We pray all this in our Savior's name. Amen.